occasion. Um, Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes will be delivered this week. If you haven't brought yours in, you can drop them off Monday. Um, call Cheryl to let her know that you're going to drop something off. You have something a little bit more. Uh, we had more than enough money to pay for shipping. I think it was like $1,700 or something like that. Is that correct? Like $1,700 for shoe boxes to be delivered. So, yeah. It's great. I think we needed 500 something, so it's amazing. Um, we're getting family photos today. Surprise. Well, S maybe. If, it's evolving. If you're ready, if somebody wants yeah. to yes. If you're ready, if you still need to get a haircut, some trimmed up, whatever, you know. I like <laughs> I to get like my pictures. I like to get my pictures before I eat, <laughs> not after I eat. That's a preference for me. All right, keep that in mind, though. Keep that in mind before you eat if you're going to do a lot of work at the buffet today. Um, any other announcements? I have one. All right, go ahead. I, just, I want you to look at the picture on the front of your bulletin. Now, most of the other bulletins you probably could interpret. This is Paul's. Um, raise your hand over there, Paul, so everybody knows who you are. Yeah? Okay, he's over on the side. <laughs> And, and I thought you needed to know exactly what was going on. He writes very lightly, so it didn't um, show up. That's a church. You can tell by the two crosses on top. And Paul is in blue, and he loves to go to church. And at church, there's, that's his, on the other side, his dad and his mom and him. So he, he's superimposed in the other side. Um, and then you see a little green at the bottom and brown and blue. That's the... The grass, the lawn, and the uh, probably the parking lot, the dirt, and the sky. And up on top is a musical note. It looks like a bike. It's not. It's a musical note because Paul loves music. Right, Paul? He loves music. So you wouldn't know. He's very quiet. But that's what this picture is all about. He loves to be at church, and he likes to be here with his family. And, um, you know, that's what that's all about. We're also going to have a video um, during Missions Month. We didn't have time to get everybody in. And we support um, Shepherd's College. It's for children or students with disabilities. And um, we're going to do a video on that, and they'll explain it a little more. There'll be two videos. The second one's very short. But it shows what, how the, they react when they get their letter of acceptance. And if you got tissues handy, you might want to have them because it'll get you. Okay, so you can run those. Finding hope first. What? Finding hope first. I think that's the one. The one that was on the. Well, I, let me see it. No, that's the... Second one? Yeah. Two. We welcomed 
Brianna and Nicole into our family. But that excitement quickly turned to concern when our doctor uttered five words that would change our lives when he said, your daughter has Down syndrome. I would wonder, would she ever walk like the typical child? Would she ever talk like the typical child? Would she read and what would her future be like? And I have to say, I never expected us to even think about her going to college. Yeah, but later we heard about a college for students with intellectual and developmental disabilities and we were intrigued. Uh, could college be a possibility for our daughter? And for the first time we began to dream. You know, hope was that was lost was rekindled as we envisioned that perhaps one day our daughter could attend college and uh, become independent. Uh, and later we, we got to visit Shepherds. And it didn't take us long to figure out there was something special. They had specialized programs like horticulture, technology, and culinary arts um, that were specifically created just for students like our daughter. And it was a place where the staff that we met that day, it was overwhelmingly evident they cared they had passion and they were an expert in their field. And it was a place also that we saw that um, our student and students can learn about God and grow in their faith. And, and ultimately it was, we saw it as a place where Brianna could um, have true belonging. And it was funny at the end of that tour, she proudly proclaimed, this is my college. And it's been that track ever since. My specific role at Shepherd's College, I'm an advancement officer, which basically means I raise funds for the college. But my personal goal really is to advance the mission of Shepherd's in any way that I can so that more families can have the opportunity to learn and maybe even experience this great place for their students. And you know, God is truly working in mighty ways on our campus. And so I have the privilege of also inviting people to financially invest in what God is doing through the ministry of Shepherds College. We have a phenomenal staff here at Shepherds, and I asked them, what is the heart behind Shepherds College, in your opinion? You know, one particular uh, staff member put it this way, and I love it. He says, that the, I think at the, heart of, at the heart of Shepherds College, we are training adults with disabilities in ways to succeed. When previously they may have believed they weren't good enough to have great jobs or meaningful lives to the glory of God who wants and desires this for them. We've graduated over 150 students since our inception in 2008 from 35 different states, nine foreign countries, and each one's independence is different. It all looks different. It's not a cookie cutter program. and so. We really cater you know, to the individualized needs of our students so they can have the best success possible. And what we found at Shepherds is that when you learn, when our students learn in an environment that's created specifically for them, they thrive. You know, and I think of one girl who, you know, when she first came to Shepherds, um, if she spoke to you, she would look at the ground, you know, and not a lot of confidence. Uh, she would just kind of you know, use that deflection of looking away. And, um, but then three years later, that same girl uh, delivered a graduation speech for her students, for her class, with confidence, uh, boldness. It was beautiful. 
And then additionally, that same weekend, she was called in as one of the students to meet with the board. It consists of doctors, lawyers, business people, asking questions about her experience. And she looked them right in the eye with confidence and answered their questions. And just a huge transformation uh, one year, from year one to year three. Yep. If that didn't get you nothing, well, you're cold as stone if you didn't get teary-eyed on that one. So that was pretty amazing. We're going to sing, oh, just to make sure there's stuff on the table out there about Shepherd's College. Uh, you're welcome to look at that and, and take it. And uh, if you know somebody who might benefit from it, you could even pass it on. Oh. One other thing. They, Shepherd's College um, was doing really well getting students um, coming, and then they lost. The government took away their FAFSA grant money, so they can't get any government funding. 
they've lost students because of that, so they are asking if you know anyone wants to donate. They'd appreciate you donating to that particular thing. There's information out on the table that you can take, and it probably explains all of that. Okay, let's turn to in our hymnals to 621. Who is on the Lord's side? <laughs> Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the King? Who will be His helpers? Other lives to bring. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for Him? So as we 
continue our study in 2 Peter chapter 2 this week. This 2 Peter is this message of impending judgment, but at the same time that the Lord will save. And I thought this Psalm 37 had an appropriate message to go with that. So from Psalm 37 of David, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken. But the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen the wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. 
but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. In your hymn books to hymn number 613. Hymn number 613. Trusting Jesus.
Okay, so I'll be praying for Carol Camp. Um, she could use that. I know what it's like to have a bowel obstruction, so it's quite painful, and uh, and uh, they'll be working to try and figure out what's the best way to take care of that. So be praying for her, and be praying that maybe the simplest method will work the best. That would be good. Anything else? Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, you are an amazing God. We're grateful for your love. We're grateful that you sent your son to die for sinful people, for us. And that in the process, you gave us life. And that that is abundant. Thank you that your truth has set us free and that we can learn from that and grow from your word and, and grow closer to you and, and more settled and, and secure, able to trust you in the things that we go through. Lord, we're grateful that you care for us in our need. And even when we think we don't need you, you're already working on our behalf. We thank you that you're caring for Carol and we pray for her. Her need is this all obstructions in the way. You know exactly what's going on. Help the doctors as they work with her to take care of this problem that she might be able to live comfortably again uh, with bowels that work. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that you work in many different ways, even in uh, them finding this growth on my wife's liver, that this was found in a, again a, in an odd way. And yet, Lord, you found it early and, uh, and already are moving to, to have that taken care of. We're thankful that you know all these things ahead of time and are already working the plan out. We look forward to the way you will work in our lives on a daily basis, but also as a church, as you work in our lives, as we get together to fellowship after the service, and give us good fellowship because of you. We thank you for the joy of coming and singing songs that would give praise to you. We thank you for your word and being able to hear it and then to hear the preaching of the word. Teach us today, Lord. Help us to glorify you by hearing your word and responding. And we'll praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Going to sing our worship songs. Um, wanted you to know one of the reasons I keep singing, Oh, Praise the Name, is because it fits with 2 Peter. Um, it talks about Jesus Christ and our need to be reminded constantly of our great salvation so that we will not forget. And so we sing it first, and then uh, because it's Thanksgiving, we sing some other Thanksgiving songs and would like you to think about saying something that would praise the Lord for the work he's doing in your life. So think about that. You'll get opportunity to do that. We brought the, we changed everything so you could see the children do their stuff. We uh, were informed that when they're down lower, they're hard to see. So we're moving them up so you can see them. And hopefully that'll help you enjoy this.
cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus died and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree.
Anybody have any thanks or praise they want to give to the Lord? It is the month of Thanksgiving. Not that you can't do it the rest of the month. We're giving you a special opportunity now. I'm thankful for Cheryl working with these kids and doing such a great job. It's enjoyable to see the little ones do those things. Proud parents. She wishes I was in front of her and not on the side. <laughs> she can't see me. <laughs> this is something new we're trying. But she's going to keep at it. Okay, let's give you another chance after give thanks. Anybody else want to give praise or thanks? I'm going to actually talk about the snow a little bit. I like it when the snow comes, partly because I like having snow. But one of the things that snow always reminds me of is that the Lord has cleansed me whiter than snow. And it always reminds me of that. I know snow gets dirty, you know. But I'm grateful when I get fresh, clean snow falls again on the ground, whiter than snow. And I'm always grateful for what the Lord's done for me in that way. Anybody else? I'm going to have to start picking people to give praise. Maybe that would get you going here. Okay. You get, okay. Amen. Yes, it's 
great how the Lord's worked to bring her to the point where she'll play like this. Anybody else? I don't want to turn anybody down, you know. Okay, we're going to sing gratitude and give you one more chance after that, and then we'll bring Greg up here.
have a praise it's your last opportunity praise Lord anybody else I'll be thinking about it for next week I might start pointing to people <laughs> great having them up here praising the Lord. It's amazing. Sometimes the little children teach us, you know. If they can come up here and do this, you can probably stand back there and shout out a praise. Okay, you can all sit down. Those ages four to seven, dismissed to junior church. We are continuing our study in 2 Peter. Last week we looked at chapter 2, the first three verses, and tied those into the end of the first chapter and how Scripture is the standard. And that is a standard by which you can discern the false teachers that speak. Peter has been speaking of. <clears throat> We're going to pick up in verse 4. I intend to do verses 4 through 10 today of 2 Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to read chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 through verse 10 just to give you that feel there. It says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. <clears throat> For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them, day after day he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment 
until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So this, this section, these verses 4 through 10, are sort of bookended by the end of verse 3. There it says, Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not sleep. These verses that follow are all talking about condemnation and destruction. Right? So he's, he has given the premise, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. In the following verses, now he's going to lay out from Scripture. Here, here are some examples of that. But he doesn't just leave you there. He ends that in verse... In verse 9, wraps it up where he says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, right? And to, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So, yes, you have all these examples of judgment, but mixed in with those examples of judgment, you have examples of God saving, of him in verse 9, rescuing the godly from trials. So that's. That's what we're going to look at today as we get into these verses. God's judgment and God's rescue. So he begins there. I wanted to wrap up on verse 3 there. But that ends where he says, Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So I was thinking, well, so... Going back through scripture, what are some of the like first passages that talk about judgment coming on false teachers? And we had touched last week in Deuteronomy 18, which is the giving of the law. But in Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 and 22, it says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word of the Lord has not sp spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So you have this giving in the law of, okay, here's what you do when you have a false teacher, right? This condemnation stands, given in the law. But we can go further back than that. We can go back to to Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, specifically verses 14 and 15. So this is immediately after the fall, after Adam and Eve sin, And the Lord now makes some pronouncements. But in verse 14 of Genesis chapter 3, it says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So you have this first announcement of condemnation on a false teacher. Right? You have the serpent who lies to Eve, deceives her. And in that same sentence, that same phrase, you also have the first pronouncement of the coming of Christ to redeem the fallen world. And 
So there's two examples from earlier in scriptures that point to this condemnation from long ago. But I was thinking more, and as, as you get down to it, this phrase ultimately points us to the nature of God. You have that God is holy and God is eternal. So since God is holy, he cannot tolerate sin. Therefore, it is within the nature of God to judge sin, hence their condemnation. So because God is holy, he must judge sin. He has to condemn it. It is in his nature. And then thinking of that phrase, it says from long ago, God is eternal. He has always been. He has always been holy. Therefore, their condemnation is from long ago, just based simply on the nature of God, that God is holy and God is eternal. Their condemnation is from long ago because of who God is. <clears throat> But this is the setup for the verses that follow. Where he says their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. This is, God is holy, God is eternal. He will deal with this. This, this is, him dealing with it is just a part of who God is. That is his nature. And so I was looking at verses 4 through 10 that we're going to dig into some more. One of the interesting things that I noticed as I was looking at this is that verses 4 through 10 are all one big long sentence. It's, there's certain different times in Scripture you come across that, and you're like, oh, we're used to like nice little short period beginning with next sentence. No, Peter's got a point to make here. So he's, he's going on. It continues. And so if you look at the breakdown of that sentence, you see verses 4 through 8 are an if portion of the statement. And then verses 9 and 10 are a then. So this is one long if-then statement. If God did this, if God did this, if God did this, then surely you can rely on this. If-then. This big, long section is one big if-then statement. And so Peter is using examples of God's judgment from history. And this is a reminder to his audience that God is faithful. And so, you again, you look at verses 4 through 8, these first if parts, and keeping in your mind as you look at those, the conclusion, the then portion of that long statement, where it says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. That's what he's pointing out to you as you go through these verses, that God, God will do this. So looking firstly there at verse 4, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So we have the, the subject here of this verse is fallen angels. There was, as I was looking at different things, a lot of commentators take you back to the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, um, where it talks about sons of man and Nephilim. And that is a, can be an obscure text, so I'm not going to go down 
that road necessarily. But no, if you're looking through your, your commentaries or your study Bibles, there's probably going to be some mention of that there. But this section in Peter has a lot of parallels with the book of Jude. There's a lot in there that is in common. And so there's, given that there are many parallels, sometimes it's helpful to say, oh, this looks like a very similar passage. What is some of the wording in this other passage that is essentially a parallel? Jude, Jude only has one chapter. So Jude verse 6 says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So you have that similar language, that they are kept in chains for the day of judgment. It's this passage in 2 Peter 2, verse 4, is pointing us to a sure judgment, where it says, if God did not spare angels when they sinned. I was thinking, if you think about angels, you, you maybe do a, a survey of Scripture, you come to a conclusion about angels. Angels are quite awesome. They are great. They are powerful. I have a Bible app I use on my phone that can be very handy called Lagos. And you can search through that and just type in angels and it'll bring up, it was like 269 different references to angels within all of scripture. You can just scroll through those and get a feel for them. And the majority of this references to angels are to them being messengers. They are delivering a message, which is appropriate because when the word angels means messenger. They are God's messengers. So these messengers are exceedingly powerful and they dwell in the presence of God. They take messages directly from God to man. Right? They, have, they are able to go into God's presence. And, the, and then uh, referring to the power of angels, in 2 Kings 19, verse 35, this particular instance, this one always strikes me as like, this. you want to know how powerful angels are? So in that 2 Kings passage, the angel of the Lord kills 185,000 Assyrians overnight. One angel. Picture of the power of an angel, right? One who serves the living God, one who can go in and out of his presence. And in Second Peter, where we're at, in chapter 3, verse 10, Peter makes more mentions. I think I wrote that down incorrectly. 3.11. Yeah, that's what I, yeah. Though greater in might and power is what it, what it says. I, maybe I'm not seeing it rightly. But, but Peter makes a further reference to angels of being greater in might and power. 
So, but these angels are held in judgment when they sin. And thinking about the power of angels and the fact that they have this physical closeness to God. So if it was possible to be saved by our own strengths or abilities, would not angels be far more capable than humans are of saving themselves? And yet, it says in 2 Peter 2, 4, that God did not spare angels when they sinned. Right? They are still subject to punishment for sin. They are not granted mercy. It says they are not spared when they sin. So these powerful beings who are far greater in their abilities than we are, are, are held to account for their sin. God did not spare angels when they sinned. And so part of what we can draw from this is do not trust in your own strength. Do not trust in your own abilities. Do not trust in your position. That Jesus is the only way that we can be right with God. You have angels who have far greater strengths than we do. They have far greater abilities than we do. They have a closer physical position to God than we do. And yet, God did not spare them when they sinned. How much more so you and I. It says also there that the Lord keeps the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. You know, he casts them into hell, committed them to chains of gloomy darkness. But that's not the end of their punishment. It says to be kept until the judgment. They're just waiting. And so he's, I, there's some parallels as so much like the false teachers that Peter's been speaking of, and he's been talking their impending destruction of these false teachers, fallen angels are kept for judgment. So Peter's odd, this is an assurance to Peter's audience that they can rest assured that it will happen. God will follow through. He will keep his word. And so if the angels do not escape judgment, neither will the false teachers. They're not getting out of this. In verse 5, he goes into an example of Noah. He says, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So now you have this example of Noah in the flood. Genesis chapter 6. Verses 5 through 8, I wanted to read. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created <clears throat> from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Verse 8 says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So in this judgment of the flood, the whole earth is wiped out. Every 
says, I will blot out man who I've created from the face of the land, man and animals. Right? Everything that's on the earth. Wipe it out. This judgment. The example of the judgment of God on the wickedness of man. So the judgment of God in this example of Noah is sure. And it is effective. He is thorough. He takes it all out. But within this judgment, we have an example of God's mercy and his ability to save. So God knows how to rescue the godly from trials. You have Noah with his family that are saved. They are preserved. When we looked at 1 Peter, it's 1 Peter 3, verse 20, Noah is mentioned there. So Peter is consistent with his examples. 1 Peter 3.20 says, Because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So in that 1 Peter passage, he again points to the judgment of God and even the patience of God. Noah did not build the ark overnight. It took time. If you look at the Noah's called a herald of righteousness also. So the Genesis account doesn't really say that Noah was preaching to the people while he is building the ark or telling them, you know, you need to repent because God is going to judge the earth. It doesn't lay that out. But Noah is called a herald of righteousness in Scripture. We don't know whether Noah was actually preaching or if it was simply... The ark is a pretty significant thing. If you've ever been to Ohio, Kentucky, where they've, Ken Ham and that organization has built a full-scale model of the ark, you can't miss it. <laughs> like, it stands out. Like, something is, something's up here, right? So, so Noah's building this ark. You know, like, there's going to be some questions raised. There's going to be some opportunity there to explain what's going on. So even if... He is not preaching on the street corner his life. This ark he is doing, if nothing else, acts as a herald. And it's good to remember that, so it calls back in Genesis, it says that Noah was righteous. But it's good to remember that Noah's righteousness was by faith. We've been studying that in Romans. That was, that was today's study, actually. But Hebrews 11.7 also reminds us that the righteousness of Noah is by faith. It is not in his own abilities. It is because he trusted the Lord. The Lord told him what to do, and he did it. He had faith. In verse 6, it now Peter gets into... He says, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So this is another example of the judgment of God, this total destruction of these, these cities. He says that he's making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. This is of the judgment that is to come. Again, thinking to the... Chap verse 9 and 10 at the end of this section, 
God knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So even in Sodom and Gomorrah, you had Lot living there, which he gets into to Lot being rescued. But how did God rescue Lot from the city of Sodom? He sent some angels to him. And while those angels are there, the men of Sodom desire to have those angels, right? Their own, their own sinful desires continue to cause them to do wicked things. So those angels become witnesses to the wickedness of the men of Sodom. And it says, if he rescued righteous Lot, in verse 7, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. It becomes, if I was reading through the account in Genesis of Lot and him being saved from the city, and one thing that jumps out to you in Genesis 19, verse 16, is so you have these angels there, they're warning Lot, and they say, you need to get out of here. And it says, and Lot lingered. Lot was like, well, I don't know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll stay a little longer. And it says the angels had seized him and his family by the hand and forcefully removed them from the city. It was an example of the Lord being merciful to him. These angels show up to save Lot, and Lot's like, well, I, you know, I, I kind of like it here. Maybe we'll, you know, we'll linger. Like, no, get out. Forcefully takes him by the hand, transports him outside of the city. Verse 7, he rescued righteous Lot. There was a direct interaction there to get Lot out of that city. I'd say Lot was reluctantly rescued was the thing that I drew from that. And yet God did it. But we get more description there at the end of verse 7 and into verse 8 about Lot and what was going on then, which ties into what's going on with these false teachers. But it says that in verse, the end of verse 7, says that Lot was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them, day after day he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. I think that ties into verse 10 of 2 Peter chapter 2, where it says, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So Lot's experience within Sodom had some similarities to the experience of those who Peter is talking to. And so even the other thing that I noticed is that Lot was tormented, says he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds, right? And you read through that example and you see the kinds of things that those men in Sodom desired to do and you see that Lot is tormented over those things. And I was wondering... Sexual sin in our culture has become so normalized. Is your soul tormented over the, the evil things that you see going on? Right? In the television shows that you see, on the billboards that you drive past sometimes, right? It's 
I'm afraid we become so used to being surrounded by sexual sin, it doesn't offend us as much as it should. It may not even offend us as much as it did Lot, which is a scary thing to think about. But he points to, he ties that together with what these false teachers are doing. These false teachers are doing many of the same things that those in Sodom were doing, if I gather correctly. So he has all these examples of judgment. God is going to do justice. But in the midst of doing that justice, God is going to save his people. So in verse 9 it says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So Peter's telling them, yes, it is hard. Yes, judgment is coming. God is in control, and he will rescue his people from the coming judgment. So you have that example of Noah and his family who are saved from the coming judgment because of God. You have Lot and his family who are saved from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah because of God. And you see where, if you can read in there, you'll see Lot's wife does not obey the instructions that are given, and she loses her life. And you see where God has judged sinful angels and ungodly people in the past, and he will do it again. So if God can keep fallen angels in chains awaiting final judgment, surely he can handle the judgment of sinful man. So the pattern of the plan of God is to rescue the godly before judgment is executed. And you also, God is not sitting on his throne, wringing his hands, saying, oh, how am I going to get my people out of this one? How am I going to rescue my people this time? God is working a plan out. He is not caught off guard. And the other thing that I, you see in here and, and that you see throughout Scripture is in regards to that being, keeping the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, there are times, and it's often, being in sin is often its own punishment. Because when you are steeped in sin, you cannot reap the rewards of God's blessing in your life when you're entangled in sin. Sin does not lead to flourishing. So sin is already its own penalty in, in some ways. And the punishment of hell and final judgment brings that into full completion. Which goes 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, the end of last week's passage, says their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. God will complete his justice. And then that in verse 10, the last verse we're going to look at here, it says, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. He begins that statement with the word especially. It is signifying God's judgment is particularly deserved in some cases. And it's, we know that all sin separates us from God and is deserving of judgment. But it would seem here 
that some sins reap greater consequences than others. He says especially those. And so the false teachers that Peter is speaking of share many of the same characteristics of those mentioned in these judgment passages. You know, everybody does what is right in their own eyes. These men of Sodom who are seeking after other men. Um, men of Sodom characterized by their sins of defiling lust. The false teachers that Peter speaks of are characterized by their lust of defiling passion and arrogance, as he speaks here. They despise authority. So the big picture to take from this passage of God's judgment and him saving his people. If you are in Christ, you can rest assured that justice will be done. God is not asleep, and he will accomplish his plan. And we can look at his actions in the past to be sure of that. We have all these examples from Scripture, and that's just like not even a handful that Peter goes over. And you can also say that if you do not know Christ as your Savior, you can count it as a great mercy that judgment has not come upon you yet. God is providing more time to repent, to turn toward him, and to turn away from sin. So God's justice is sure, and his mercy towards sinners does not last forever. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for your examples throughout Scripture and time of, of your justice worked out. We thank you that we can rest assured in that. We thank you that you, you save your people, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your hymn books to 321. It's actually a perfect song for the end of this preaching today, as it talks about wandering, my spirit oppressed, coming uh, for years in fetters of sin I was bound. And then the last verse, O soul near despair, look up, let Jesus come into your life. Let's stand and sing 321 together. In sorrow I wandered, my spirit oppressed, but now I am happy, securely I rest. From morning till evening, glad carols I sing, and this is the reason I walk with the King. I walk with the King, hallelujah. I walk with the King, praise His name. No longer I roam, my soul faces home. I walk and I talk with the King. For years in the fetters of sin I was bound, the world could not help me, no comfort I found. But now like the birds and the 
sunbeams of spring. I'm free and rejoicing. I walk with the King. I walk with the King. Hallelujah. I walk with the King. Praise His name. No longer I roam. My soul faces home. I walk and I talk with the King. Oh, soul near despair in the lowlands of strife, look up and let Jesus come into your life. The joy of salvation to you he would bring. Come into the sunlight and walk with the King. I walk with the King, hallelujah. I walk with the King, praise His name. No longer I roam, my soul faces home. I walk and I talk with the King. Gracious Father, we're grateful. We're grateful for passages that remind us that God is just. He must do the work of God. He must bring sinners who refuse to repent to judgment. And he saves those who turn to him for salvation. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for working in us to bring us to you. We want to praise you this day for your goodness to us, your grace, your love. In Christ's name, amen. Don't forget, we eat out back. You're all welcome. Come back and enjoy with us.